Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The price of gold shot up last week and it hit 2,065 US dollars per ounce. That was just shy of the previous all-time high reached in August of 2020 of 2,070 US dollars per ounce. I'm Gabe Friedman, and this week on Down to Business, I looked at how gold connects to inflation, to rising interest rates, Bitcoin, and the modern economy. So I spoke to Peter Groskopf and John Hathaway this week, respectively the chief executive officer and the managing director of Sprott Inc., and two of the biggest gold investors in the world. As always, this podcast is edited for clarity and brevity. So to begin, gold did just break 2,000 US dollars per ounce, close to its all-time high. And yet, Gold, it's actually been a story of disappointment for many investors for most of the past year, because until just a few weeks ago, the gold price had been trending down for months, which was surprising because there's no shortage of crises and gold is supposed to do well in a crisis. Here's Groskopf explaining his view on this. Well, I'd start by saying that, in my opinion, gold is always more related to investor confidence than anything else. And investors were very confident last year. Speculative assets of all variety were soaring. And in that kind of environment, gold actually put in a reasonably good performance. Nobody was looking at fire alarms, thinking they needed insurance. And gold is an easy source of liquidity. So When everything else is flying, gold is usually not. And that exhibited itself through a wedge pattern, technically, where where gold was locked in this slightly decreasing trading range. And then you had a convincing breakout of that wedge before Ukraine. Gold started to move, in my opinion, being accumulated by a wider group of investors now because more parties started to say, we need this as portfolio insurance. I asked Hathaway if he thinks... Russia's invasion of the Ukraine and the threat to world order, the possibility of nuclear threats, might have had anything to do with the rise of gold recently. He said only a little, and that sanctions may have driven home some of the problems with fiat currencies. In other words, you can't freeze gold, but you can freeze someone's dollars in a bank account. Probably had a lot to do with it in terms of the last $100 or so, but there was a lot else going on underneath the surface that had nothing to do with Ukraine would explain price action before the last couple of weeks. And do you want to elaborate on what you think some of that was? Sure. I mean, the Fed Fed basically is out of business. They cannot raise rates. I would be surprised if they did more than what they announced they were going to do at this next meeting. The economy is staggering. It was weak before the Ukraine situation. It's only going to be weaker now. So I think the whole narrative that we've been fighting for the last year or so, which is the Fed's going to get really tough on inflation, has just completely gone away. That was Hathaway saying the Fed, meaning the central bank in the U.S., can't raise interest rates, in his opinion. The idea is that rates have been so low for so long that it'll be a huge shock when they go up and it won't be politically feasible or economically sensible to raise interest rates. 
But of course, central banks want to, and some might say need to raise interest rates because inflation is rising. And there's a debate about why. Some people say it's caused by supply chain snarls. Some people think it's related to the amount of money that's been pumped into the economy. To be honest, everyone has a different theory. But if we can't raise interest rates, then one consequence is that central banks won't be able to use interest rates to rein in inflation. Here's Grosskopf on this topic. The term that best comes to mind for me is fake taper. I think there's a lot of job owning about tapering, but there's uh, two massive problems that the Fed has got to face or not face, and that is inflation is running as hot as it is, which I personally believe is a at this stage a psychological state of mind as opposed to being just supply driven. What, what do you mean by that? Well, everybody talks about inflation. <laughs> Like it's some kind of esoteric concept that can be controlled. I I don't think so at all. I think that it's a state of mind. People want more for their goods, services, and labor. And they're used to asking for more. And now they're used to getting more. And in addition to supply chain issues, I think this has become embedded in in the psychology now of, of the depreciation of fiat currency. So that that's one major issue. Then the second one is we're sitting with 320 trillion of global debt balances. And so when the Fed looks at those and starts to raise rates, the only question in our mind is how quickly do they turn coat and go the other way? So that's why I say fake paper. Again, not everyone thinks that interest rates can't go up. The economists at most of Canada's large banks think the economy could withstand quite a few interest rate hikes in the next few years. But gold as an investment, it's been described as a hedge against inflation, as a safe haven in times of stress, the value of which will go up during a crisis when everything else tanks. Now, to repeat, Grosskopf and Hathaway, they're bullish on gold. That's kind of their job. And they're very good at what they do. So I'm just letting them make the bull case for gold here. Yeah. In addition, Gabe, I think there's these systematic risks that have been building for years and have been hidden by the extent of government support of markets. And those systematic risks are starting to show themselves as well. You've got increasing credit stress. You've got corporate spreads, you know, jumping. You've got the VIX increasing and volatility going up. You've got all these speculative bubbles that have been financed by super low back negative interest rates. And all of that, I think investors just have an increasing appreciation for the fact that party needs to end. And as the party's ending, they get less confident. They look at tail risk insurance and gold becomes an immediate asset of value to them. And so what we see on the front lines is a far broader buying base for gold than we've ever seen before. As you just heard, Grosskopf thinks that we've been living through an era of easy money that was enabled by low interest rates. At the heart of this theory is the idea that governments have pumped too much money into the economy. According to a study by the consultancy McKinsey, in June 2020, governments around the world, including in Canada, the US, Western Europe, had announced $10 trillion in economic spending to combat the effects of the pandemic. That was three times more than the response to the 2008-2009 financial crisis. There's one school of thought that says if investors flocked to gold as a safe haven or a hedge against systemic risk, then what happens now that governments have a playbook that is, you know, to pump in money to the economy through stimulus or whatever to soften these crises? Again, the fact is 
governments were pumping a lot of money into the economy in the past year or so, and the price of gold had been declining. Well, your observation is accurate to date. It's kind of changed in the last month. But I would say the difference is that that monetary accommodation, governments taking and providing liquidity of last resort and taking systematic risk out of the system, it's limited by two things. First of all, how much debt can they create? And secondly, how much inflation shows up? And if you come around to the end game here, if they keep printing, of course, we're going to have runaway inflation and all fiat currency will be depreciated. It's already happened on assets. It's now starting to happen on goods and services. So the end game is not pleasant. So you may have heard all that and been thinking gold is an interesting thing. It's been around forever. Ancient civilizations made beautiful objects from gold. It's been used as a currency. Today, it's primarily used in jewelry and as an investment, although there is a small percentage used in technology and a small percentage purchased by central banks. If you look at the price of it, it can help you understand the economy. If you go back to the last time there was a peak, it was right after the financial crisis. So starting in 2008, gold goes up and it keeps going up until 2011 and it breaks 1800 US dollars per ounce. And that was the previous all-time high. But then for about six years, it dropped and it wound up in a much lower range between 1100 and 1300 US dollars per ounce. And it pretty much stayed range bound until just before the pandemic. And at that time, if you recall, central banks, like they're doing now, were talking about raising interest rates and gold started going up. And as 2019 came to an end, it finally broke through its ceiling and it hit $1,500 per ounce. Now, there's a lot of ways to invest in gold. And Grosskopf says that the gold market has matured in recent times. If you, if you go back to the 70s, it was mostly gold bugs and you know your odd Uber trader like a George Soros that used gold plus central banks. You get into the 90s, gold became a more institutional asset, but it was basically in the land of hedge funds. As you've come to this decade now, I think you're talking about generalist investors. You're talking about endowments, family offices, uber wealthy investors, portfolios that are adding gold at a 2 to 5% allocation. And they're doing it slowly, methodically. And we see that in our business. Now we're going to pause a minute for a short break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Certainly, the traditional way to invest in gold has been through gold miners. During the last financial crisis, as I mentioned, gold prices shot up and suddenly gold miners were awash in profits and bad decisions were made. Many mining companies bought mines and they overpaid. And when the gold price eventually crashed, they were soaked in debt. So the industry in general has spent the past few years paying down that debt, while people who might have invested in gold miners have looked for other ways to do this. There's a lot. You don't even have to buy gold bars anymore. You can invest in a fund that's backed by physical gold. Then there are streaming and royalty companies, which in a nutshell, they help finance gold mines in exchange for a tiny portion of the gold that will eventually get produced. And because they own a small piece of many mines, 
As opposed to a mining company which owns large part of just a few mines, the streaming and royalty companies, they're a little more insulated against risk. You know, the risk of losing a mining permit, of an environmental disaster, or of some kind of operational catastrophe that could shut a mine down. I think for miners, they've been underappreciated as a sector for the reasons you mentioned. They underperformed at the peak of the last cycle. Investors are still reluctant. There's been general confidence in the economy and things like tech stocks. And nobody's really looked to gold for growth. But I think they're slowly returning. And I would say the traditional multiple is gold stocks go up by three times gold increases. So at some point, that leverage kicks in. And the group re-rates, and it usually re-rates very quickly. I also asked Hathaway what he thinks ails gold miners. My two cents on that is that they are, by and large, and I'm not saying it's true of each and every one, still feeling uh, what you just referred to, which was the mistakes of, of that three or four years when the gold price was high previous decade. And so I think the, the financial discipline, the psychology is still fairly conservative. Again, that could change, but I think it'll change with a higher gold price. So gold miners may make bad decisions again, but it could take a while. I wanna pause for a second and give a little anecdote. Every year I go to one of the biggest mining conferences in the world and I always walk up and down the aisles and I hear a common complaint. Oftentimes what I hear is that young people don't care about gold or gold mining. All they care about is Bitcoin. It kind of makes sense if you think about it, because if you're investing in gold because you're worried about governments putting too much fiat currency out there, why wouldn't you look at cryptocurrencies? Well, we don't think there's any debate. Uh, We think that, that crypto has the same philosophy as gold, which is to get your money out of the hands of fiat currency and put it in an asset that can't be controlled by governments. Uh, And that's where the similarities end. Bitcoin is backed by nothing but scarcity. It had, I think it's multiples of the volatility of gold. It is more of a risk-on asset now than a risk-off asset. So I don't think it has anything like the properties of gold. It's also still a much smaller market. You know, we're talking about a trillion to $2 trillion, whereas gold's over 10 and has been around for a long time. So I think most importantly, what I'd like to say on the topic is that gold will become tokenized. And I think that will open it up to taking market share back from Bitcoin. The technology behind cryptocurrencies is called blockchain. And it's too complicated to explain exactly how it works. But basically, all you need to know is that it's a public ledger, an accounting system of sorts being applied to a lot of different things. Bitcoin is only one. Another example would be supply chains. And there's also an idea to tokenize gold. This may seem a little bit like crossing the streams in Ghostbusters, if you've watched that movie, where it's like, what could happen if you took Bitcoin and combined gold? It's not exactly that. But if you could tokenize gold and apply the blockchain to gold, it could increase its utility. Gold has not been transactional for 100 years. And to the extent that it's tokenized, it potentially becomes useful as a medium of exchange. And uh, that would net-net certainly increase demand for it. Yeah, you'll be able to trade at 24-7. Spreads of trading gold will come down further. Once you tokenize it, all bets are off. I think you can hold it as a collateral asset and use it in the payment system. You can move it back and forth from your household account and you can use it as a uh, payment credit card. That would certainly be an interesting potential outcome of blockchain. 
I want to point out one more thing. Governments have definitely printed a lot of money in recent years, but we've also mined a lot of gold. The biggest gold mines today are enormous. They're not panning for nuggets. They're looking for gold in a measure of grams per ton. That is, if you can consistently produce eight grams of gold for every ton of ore that you mine, that's an exceptionally rich mine. I tried to figure out exactly how much has been mined. No one really knows, but we have estimates. The World Gold Council, that's an industry organization, told me that its best estimate is that there's approximately 205,000 tons of gold that have been dug up since the beginning of human existence. And 32% of that, or 66,000 tons, was mined between 2000 and 2021, according to Metals Focus, a consultancy that studies gold supply. Just to give you those numbers again, 205,000 ounces since the beginning of time have been dug up, and 32% of all that gold was mined between 2000 and 2021. There's still new gold mines opening, and if the price of gold goes up, that's only going to incentivize more people to invest and open new mines. But some people think we've reached peak gold. Actually, they've been saying for a few years now, for what it's worth, that gold production only goes down from here. Gold, gold production is probably, uh, we probably have seen peak production, at least for in this cycle, just because it takes a lot of capital. There's a lot of risk. The no-fly zone for investment in this day and age of resource nationalism is much bigger than it was 10 years ago. So where can you trust the rule of law? Very few places compared to 10 or 20 years ago. But I also want to bring up the point that, you know, 66,000 tons, if that's the right number, is as a percentage increase, way less than the uh, percentage increase in money printing since 2000. And I don't know what 66,000 tons works out to in terms of compound rate of growth in supply, but I, uh, I could almost guarantee you that it's far less than the increase in the debt outstanding and then monetary aggregates and and central bank balance sheets over the last 20 years. So, you know, hands down, gold loses the race in terms of increasing its quantum relative to paper money. And then lastly, I want to say this, that when I hear this 200,000 and however many tons is above ground, I need to make the point that very little of that can be brought to market. So much of it is in the form uh, that can't be tradable. So if you look at the amount that's in vaults, LBMA vaults in, in, in London, COMEX warehouses, et cetera, it's a far smaller number. So I don't, I don't think this idea that may be behind your question that there's a, there's a supply issue with gold is, is really that serious. In fact, I think the, the scarcity of gold relative to the amount of paper that's been created over the last 20 years is still very, very strong. Do you know what the stats are on that? How, how much fiat currency has increased? The supply has increased? I would have to research it, but I mean, it, it's it's multiples, maybe 10x, maybe even 20x the increase in gold. And then, you know, certainly for debt, it's even more than 20x. And certainly relative to GDP, GDP has not grown in a way that would support the servicing of $230 trillion of debt and that's why interest rates can't go up. If they went up, you'd have bankruptcies all over the place, particularly in subprime. Yeah, I'll chime in one more time here, Gabe. What's incredible, most people don't realize, is how much gold has gone up against all fiat currencies since 1971. 
it's almost every year against almost every currency. So it's got a pretty good track record of pulling value compared to uh, government-issued currency. Uh -huh. It's a debate that obviously is going to go on, and it's going to be fascinating to see what happens. I really appreciate both of you taking time to talk to me today. Real pleasure. Thank you, Gabe. So that's the viewpoint from two acknowledged gold bulls, Peter Groskopf, the chief executive of Sprott Inc., and John Hathaway, a managing director of Sprott Inc., who's also the co-portfolio manager of the Sprott Gold Equity Fund, and previously, Hathaway was at Tocqueville Asset Management. Obviously, everyone has to make their own decision about whether or not to invest in gold. Groskopf at one point said that he's seeing many institutions put some small amount, like 5% of their portfolio, into gold investments. Oftentimes, that's how I've heard experts talk about it, that by keeping a small portion of your portfolio in gold, you can create some sort of insurance in case the entire global financial system crashes. But everyone has to make their own decisions about investments, and there's so many factors, including many that we didn't even discuss on this show. That's this week's episode of Down to Business. I thank you so much for listening. Thank you again to our guests, Peter Groskopf and John Hathaway. Thanks to the team that made the show possible, including Bryce Hall for music and production, to Victoria Wells, Pamela Heaven, and Noella Ovid for web support and editing, and to all the editors at the Financial Post. I'm Gabe Friedman, and I'll be back next week. But until then, you can find all your business news at financialpost.com. <laughs>